0: Hey everyone, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place on the internet to follow the world of men's professional volleyball. We are finally into the best part of the season here. Playoffs going well in Champions League and in Italy, about to start in Poland and Russia. The best time of the season to be a volleyball fan. In today's episode, I'm gonna go over the Italian League playoff matches that have happened this week. Preview a bit of Champions League. Talk about the Polish League. And then I also, at the end, have a bit of a segment taken from that discussion with Everett and Rob. Talking about some of the rule changes in refing Because I think it's been an interesting discussion over the past few weeks. I made an Instagram post last week asking if there were too many tips in volleyball. And got some very interesting responses Uh, So, go check that out on my Instagram. A couple of comments from Kavika Shoji and Micah Christensen, as well as a couple other professional players on there. So, that was really cool to see And, and realize that it's maybe not just the fans who are frustrated by this. So, yeah, at the end of the episode, check that out. A little bit of a discussion about repping there. But anyway, enough of an introduction. Let's start with the podcast. So I think the first topic I want to discuss today is the Polish League and especially a very interesting post by the always great uh, Mark Lebedou, Australian superstar analytics based coach who made a post about who would win the PlusLiga if they use the same scoring system as Athletes Unlimited. And for those of you who don't know, Athletes Unlimited is the new professional women's league uh, starting in the United States of America, um, where it's a little interesting because they draft new teams every week. And it's not like a team-based system, it's an individual-based scoring system. So there actually won't be a team that wins the league, it's only gonna be one player. And basically what Mark is doing is applying that same scoring system to the PLUS League. And the results were pretty interesting to me because it kind of reveals maybe some of the, mm, I would say flaws of the scoring system in Athletes Unlimited. I actually like the idea a lot of an individual-based scoring system. I'm very interested in the league and seeing how it develops. However, you can definitely see from Mark's results that <laughs> that the uh, scoring system is maybe a bit skewed towards certain positions and certain skill sets. Uh, for sure, the biggest one is that pretty much Every leader in the PlusLiga, in terms of the, this point scoring system, is an opposite or sometimes outside hitter. I think if you don't include the uh, points that you get for winning, the winner would be Karol uh and Bartosz Bolaj and Ronald Jimenez in third. So all extremely high scoring, high usage opposites. I mean, most of those guys are pretty good, but maybe not the most efficient players. Just guys who get set a lot and score a lot of points which as you can see in Athletes Unlimited, it's kind of the same thing with Jordan Larson and Karsta Lowe leading the way, and not saying any of these players are bad players, but with a scoring system like this, where there's gonna be one individual winner, I think they really have to be careful and make sure that the scoring system is weighted pretty equally towards all positions. So it's not just gonna be outside hitters and opposites winning every year. There's chances for liberos, setters, and middle blockers to win as well. And what Mark found out in the end, once you added the winning points as well, the points you get for winning matches, uh, Camille Semenyuk was actually the winner of the entire league, which is awesome. We've talked about how Camille Semenyuk this year and last year has really like taken the next leap, taken the next step into becoming a top tier player. I mean, man, he's going to be so hard to leave off of the Olympic roster this summer. Carol Butrin in second, Alexander Schlifka third, Wukaj Kaczmarek in fourth, and Muhammad El Hajdadi in fifth. So you can see that they're high-scoring, talented players that are also on good teams, but again, all of them outside hitters or opposites. So yeah, I would like to see if Athletes Unlimited, when they do their next season, to really try and change the weight of the point scoring. I'm not sure how they developed. This point scoring system to begin with, because they probably should have done some like back testing, looked at the point scoring system on some older uh, European leagues, and you know probably tried to have a pretty equal distribution of, of who's going to win. Because it seems like uh, using the current point scoring system, it's it's pretty much always going to be an outside hitter or opposite that is going to win the league. And you no. Know, I like the idea of like a, a libero winning athletes unlimited. I think that would be really cool to see, but obviously a task that is easier said than done. Maybe Mark, it would be interesting another blog post if he came up with a, a you know scoring system that would be weighted equally towards all the positions. Anyway, another thing in Poland is the Polish cup happening today as I'm recording the podcast. So I'm probably a lot of you are gonna listen to this after the Polish cup is finished. So I'm not gonna go into huge detail. I mean, my prediction probably is that Zaksa, Kizir, and Kozul is going to stomp the competition. They're playing Zavierci uh, today and then Yastrobsi Vegil, Treflav Gdansk playing after that. Probably going to be Yastrobsi versus Zax in the final, which is going to be a great match. But given the way that Zaxa has been playing recently, I can't see it going any other way other than like a 3-0 or 3-1 for them. But we'll see, Yastřebsi a very strong team as well, Mohamed al hachdadi as you you, uh, heard earlier would have been the fifth highest ranked player using the athletes unlimited scoring system, Uh, Jakub Popovicak, a fantastic libero who I picked as my best libero in the league this year even above Pavel Zatorski, and it should be a good match. So next let's talk about Champions League just a little bit because if you guys want the full Champions League rundown, I suggest you head over to the CV European Volleyball channel and check out the European Volleyball show that I did with Rob yesterday. A few technical difficulties in the uh, in the beginning, but we were joined by USA national team Libero uh, Eric Shoji to discuss a lot of the Champions League men's draws. So I imagine that conversation for you guys. Probably pretty pretty interesting. Eric was an awesome guest and and actually provided some really, really good analysis. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend check that out. But do a quick preview here of the Champions League matches happening next week. Of course, we have Zaxa, Kajirj, and Kojal facing up against Zenit Kazan. Two very different stylistic teams. Zaxa, very tricky, not afraid to tip not afraid to uh you know reset give themselves a better chance benjamin Taniuti, an um, absolute maestro very different setter from alexander Buko. not a bad setter but Buko is is a lot more i would say predictable and and by the book his set placement is very good but he's not fooling the opposing blockers that often Taniuti, on the other hand has had opposing blockers in the spin cycle this year Getting his team a lot of one-on-ones, and with Camille Semenyuk and Alexander Schlifka, they have so many ways they can score, so many tricks up their sleeve that it's it's really fun to watch with Benjamin Taniyudi. However, as you guys might know, Zenekazan is my pick to win the Champions League. I said that at the beginning of the year, and I'm sticking to it. Obviously, Zaxa beating de Chytnova was amazing, but I do think the blocking of Zenekazan is on another level. They're not going to be punished as much by being late or being slow in response to Benjamin Taniyuti's really good set distribution. Guys like Alexander Volkov, Artem Volvich, and Maxim Mikhailov are all really elite blockers who I feel like are less susceptible to the kind of tips, wipes, roll shots, what have you, that Zaksa Kadirchenkozhal is really known for this year. Of course, the X factor in this series is going to be Bartosz Bednors, who's had a bit of an up and down season. He's had some really good moments, was absolutely dominating the league, the Russian league, and aces at one point, hitting well above 50%, but he's also had some low points where he's really struggled to pass and score, and his serve's just going left to right, out the back line, everywhere but in the court. So he's going to be the uh, X-factor, especially playing against a lot of his national team teammates over there on Zaxa. I think if Bartosz Bednorz plays the way that he was at the beginning of the Russian League season, then I strongly believe that Zenit Kazan will advance. Going to be a great series, though. On the other side of the bracket, we have an Italian derby between Trentino and Perugia. And we've actually seen this matchup a couple times. Already in the Italian league season, most recently uh, we saw it in the Italian Cup semi finals where Perugia really got the best of Trentino. And, like I think I've said before, a strong serving team like Perugia is not a good matchup for Trentino. Trentino absolutely devastating with their two middles, uh, Marco Padrashin and Sreko Lisinac, both pretty much automatic when they're running that uh, first tempo offense. Namir Abdelaziz fantastic opposite, I think the best in the world right now, but he's definitely a significantly better in-system player than out-of-system player. He's a bit block blind when he's attacking uh, balls that are set from like position five, position six, so definitely still a really good out-of-system attacker, but not maybe one of the best. So I think if Perugia's serving is on points, and it usually is between Wilfredo Leon, Ole Plotnitski, uh, Sebastian, Soleil, and other really fantastic servers. If that is on point, then I definitely see it going Perugia's way. But if Leon and Plotniewski are a bit shaky with the service, which we have seen at various points this season, then I could see the game going towards Trentino's favor. I'm predicting Perugia to win, though. Don't get me wrong. But for Perugia, I mean, we've said it a bunch of times already this year, but their X factor is the opposite position. There's still no real clear favorite right now. I'm gonna say though Machi Musai has seemed like the first choice so far and I think he's gonna be the one that gets the nod in this match. Maybe not on a big leash if he's not playing well. Teister Horse is gonna come in but Machi Musai has looked pretty decent so far. Had a couple big moments already. A huge game-changing block against Modena in that quarterfinals series and probably the best you know, raw, talented player out of all those opposites right now. I mean, obviously, Atanasevich by far the best when he's healthy. I don't know. Between Shawan and Muzai, though, it's very close. They're actually pretty similar players. Of course, I'm a biased Canadian fan. I think they should play Shawan. I I can't believe he's still sitting on the bench. We still haven't really gotten to see almost anything from him uh, in the last few months. So I don't know if he's been stinking it up in practice, but... I don't know, on paper he seems like a really good fit. Really strong server, really strong blocker. With Leon and Plotnitsky, you don't need him to be like a 5 points per set, 55% attacker. You just need him to provide the little things, which I still strongly think he's really good at. I don't know, it's a bit frustrating to watch as a Canadian fan, but yeah, in all likelihood probably Musay then Terhorst if that's not going well. And speaking of things not going well for Perugia, a shocking, shocking game last week against Milano. Losing in their first playoff match of the Italian League playoffs. That is crazy. I'm going to go quickly here, break it down for you guys how this happened. Because this is one of the biggest upsets I think we've seen on the men's side in a little while. This game was (laughs) very entertaining to watch. I mean, Milano won by the smallest, smallest of margins. Perugia actually outscored them by like eight or nine points aggregate on the match. But Milano won the last three sets, 27, 25, 33, 31. By the way, after starting down, 8-3 at the beginning of the set, then winning the last one, 19-17. So yeah, incredibly, incredibly close game. And looking at the stats... I mean, you would think that Perugia played the better match. Hitting 51% on the match compared to 44% for Milano. Getting more aces as well, 7-5. to five, And actually even passing slightly better as well. Perugia had a few more errors, but I would still say probably played a better game overall. Just, I guess, not at the right moments. Milano, a lot of times, were not able to score on their first attack. But we were able to get the ball back in a pretty good position, resulting in them scoring on the second or third or, or sometimes fourth or fifth sets. You can see that with a lot of the stat lines for their players, like Teen Aaron out 15 for 44. Yuki Ishikawa, 12 for 35. John Patry 18 for 39. But for the most part, they were able to keep their errors a lot lower than Perugia which is something that like, you don't get when you look at the attack percentage. You you That's why I think they should use the attack efficiency statistic um, in the box score of the matches because I think that would paint a more revealing picture of the match, especially in a game like this. Like, Wilfredo Leon had a fantastic game scoring 31 points, two aces, uh, 28 kills, but also had eight attacking errors and six service errors. Like, that matters, especially sometimes in key moments. Like, at the end of a couple sets there, he went back to serve. You're like, okay, well, Fredo Leon, if he gets a couple of these in, game over. But he ended up missing the first serve when they were down, like, 22-23, which can really hurt your team. Despite all this, I mean, I still fully expect perugia to come back and win the series we saw you know obviously in the quarterfinals of champions league they lost that first match against modena pretty solidly and then came back and you know took it on the cheek and bounced back three times as hard and i i, I love milano they're one of my favorite teams to watch this year one of the teams i watch the most uh steven Mar, yuki shikawa uh jan kozomirnik some of my favorite players But unfortunately, I do not see them uh, winning the series, but it definitely helps winning the first match. And advancing is is definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Just one interesting thing before I move on here, Stephen Maher was not playing at all pretty much in this match. TNR and out, Yuki Shikawa getting the start. I don't think, you know, honestly, I don't think it makes a huge difference between TNR and out and Stephen Maher. I think they're fairly similar players at this point in their career. You know, I would have picked Stephen Marr over teen Aaron Out. Personally, I think you have to have Ishikawa in there. He does so many things for this team, especially serving. I feel like he's had a great serving season, which a lot of people don't realize of Yuki Ishikawa. But yeah, for me, Stephen Marr, bit better of a reception, bit more um better as an out-of-system attacker and stronger blocker for sure than teen Aaron Out. But again, teen Aaron Out, the veteran player, Really solid presence on the floor. actually got the MVP in this match. I don't know if I really agree with that, but he was big in certain moments. TNR now, very good player. Definitely respect him, all the things he's done for the Slovenian national team. But it's too bad to see a player like a, of the caliber of Stephen Maher sitting on the bench. Like Think about what Stephen Mar maybe could have done in Modena this year. He would have been there OH1 and I think really improved the prospects of that team rather than sitting on the bench in Milano. We had another five-setter, actually, between Piacenza and Trentino. Like I told you guys earlier on the podcast, Piacenza's a really good team. I think almost a little bit underrated. And they gave uh, Trentino a really good run for their money in the first half of the game, obviously bringing it to five sets. But that fifth set, they just completely fell apart. I, I, I've never seen a team almost never seen a team collapse so completely like that in the fifth set it was really strange to watch like multiple completely missed sets between uh Michele Baranovich and the attackers like sets that just went over their head or, or the timing wasn't there at all they weren't running the same attack pattern really strange to watch there a couple passing breakdowns as well between Aaron Russell and Trevor Cleveneau just just weird stuff because I think they played a pretty respectable match before that point Ricardo Lucarelli, the MVP in this one, didn't have the highest attack percentage, but was passing dimes, really good in the back row, and had three aces in the match as well. Of course, Nimir Abdelaziz carrying the load in terms of offense in this one, but the middles, both in double-digit points, Marco Pedrashanen and Sreko Lizanach. so great job from them, especially Lezenac, 13 for 18, Pedrashanen, 7 for 10, both middles. Hitting above 70%, that is pretty tough to stop. Aaron Russell, I thought, was one of the best players for Piacenza. Doing a great job, but again, struggled a bit on a couple of miscommunications or something in the fifth set, which was tough to see. Trevor Cleveneau needs to be better in the next match if they want a chance to win. Not passing well, not hitting well. 7 for 22 with four errors. Yeah, tough to watch game from Trevor Kleveno and Jorgi Grosio, the leading scorer in this one, 21 points. Looking forward to the next match in that series. And the last match was Monza versus Vibo Valencia, which on paper should have been the closest matchup, but actually was the only one that didn't go to five sets with Monza taking care of Vibo Valencia in four sets. And a pretty close one, 99-90, was the aggregate score. Addis Lagumja, the leading scorer and MVP in the match scoring 27 points on 22 for 40 hitting. And, of course, Addis Legumja, you love to see the blocks. He's one of the best blockers at the opposite position. Scored three in this one out of the team's 10 total blocks. Five from Thomas Beretta. Doing a really good job, actually, filling in for Max Holt because that is a big question how how well Monza was going to play without Max Holt. But I think the rest of the team has stepped up and and taken another step in his absence, and I mean the two Italian middles, Gianluca Galassi, Thomas Beretta, doing a great job in this one. I thought for Vibo Valencia, Davide Seda didn't have his best match, was not connecting with his attackers and especially his middles as well as, as he usually does. TJ De Falco also struggling a bit in this one uh, with four reception errors and five attacking errors. Costing his team a few points there. The Brazilian opposite, Abuba, also struggling, subbed out in the fourth set for Peter Derlich because they just needed a different look. It wasn't working uh, with the out of system balls going to Abuba. And Thibaut Rossard also not having his best attacking game, 16 for 34 with eight attacking errors. So, yeah, <laughs> Thomas Beretta and the rest of, and Addis Lagumsha and the rest of Monza doing a great job of blocking this match this series is not over guys uh definitely could see Valencia taking the next match and hopefully we get an exciting three match series just a reminder Italian League first round of the playoffs will be a best of three so you need two two matches to or two wins to advance to the next round which I like I I like the best two out of three it's not drawn out as like a five or seven game series And there's still pretty good potential for upsets, but it's not as as ridiculous as one game series where it could really go either way. Anyway, that's it for the Italian League playoffs. Probably a lot of you will listen to this after the next round of matches will happen. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how these series changes by the time you listen to this. Anyway, I'm going to cut you guys into a little bit of a wrapping discussion I had with Everett DeLorme of Volleyball Source and Rob St. Clair. Of the deep corner in the VLA so enjoy this discussion I mean I didn't I didn't I only watched part of the golden set so I didn't see everything because uh, I was covering the other matches but I mean the one at the end they were really mad about is I think a double touch on a back set um, from Antoine Brizard on a to a position one that they scored on and I think you guys if you've probably listened to the podcast in a while you know my opinion on this call is that you already punished enough by having a bad set so you don't need to call it especially because it was I think it was 14-11 or 14-12 um, so it would have given Mosaic the match and for me like like giving the match up on a you know a 50-50 at best um, double touch call, and I like I wouldn't even call it. If you guys go back and look, it's not that bad, really. Um, I I really disagree with uh, Mesaic and, and how much they were complaining because for me, refing in volleyball is like even less, pretty much the least impactful of any sport.
1: Strongly agree. Uh, it's so, by far the easiest sport to officiate. Like yeah. basketball is, I, I I can't stand watching basketball a lot of the time because of the impacts that the refs are able to have. Uh, football, American football uh, it's is difficult to officiate because everything happens really fast. There are just a bunch of calls and a bunch of rules. But penalties that are subjective really affect the game there too. The only subjectivity in all of volleyball officiating is ball handling. That's it. Either a ball is in or it's not. Either a ball is touched or it's not. Either a player touches the net or he didn't. And then, of course, there's the newly controversial. Either a team touched the ball four times <laughs> or they did not. Which for some ridiculous reason, is not reviewable, but anyway, the only thing in volleyball that should be even remotely subjective is ball handling. Uh, I actually like the I, I like the the strictness of of hands contact to be a, a little bit a little bit higher of a standard because I think the players at the top levels need to be held to a little bit higher standard than everybody else however, the um nCAA women 's for this year have already decided that literally anything anything goes and i know dan loves that because because of it. because of the same argument that you're making and that's that why would you bother ending a point on a set that's probably going to be bad or, or detrimental anyway because of the quality of contact i agree with that uh, but especially as it pertains to non-setters like uh if you're an outside hitter and you th- can get away with mangling the ball with your hands from 40 feet uh that shouldn't be acceptable, in my opinion. But anyway, to, but th- that's the only thing about volleyball officiating that is even remotely debatable. Everything else should not be debatable. I think it makes the sport better for that reason. I, uh, there's so I was, no, sorry. Go ahead. There's nothing, nothing in officiating that uh, other than ball handling that you can argue. It is so black and white, concrete. If you have replay technology, that there should almost never be any controversy about officiating. So when when stuff comes up like this, it, it's crazy because we're not used to it in volleyball. But I think that is a, a benefit to the sport. As long as we can get everyone on the same page about ball handling, it should take good or bad officiating totally out of the game.
2: I mean, hey, we're you're never going to get everyone on the same page for ball handling, because even like like different refs have, you know, different, different preferences. And I mean, I wasn't here for this take, but then you've, you've convinced me you are right. Like it, it is overall, especially especially now with the, the replay system, like it, it it takes so much out of it. I mean, that's actually why at BNL 2019, they were testing out that different referee rule where you didn't have referees on all the corners. You had one referee standing in the baseline just looking for touches. Yep. And that was it because anything else, it was close. It wasn't even like that
1: they would just go straight to straight to, um, straight to straight Hawkeye to or straight to video. Yeah. So any anything that's close on in out on sidelines, just go to the computer. Don't waste a challenge. Do a referee challenge and just check it out on the computer because if you can get those touch calls, it's it's a good thing. It was a good idea to get those those people like way behind the baseline looking at the block, being able to t- call those t- touch calls faster and more accurately because that's the most common challenge by far. And if we yeah. can speed up the match by a little bit with getting those right right away and taking those challenges out of the game, it, it makes the game flow a lot better. I'm all here for anything
2: that makes the game more exciting. And that we take away useless whistles. So, like, especially for me, if you've got a player who's making an athletic play and the ball doesn't come out cleanly with the hands, let it slide. You know, like it it, it, it for me, especially at the top level, it has to be disgusting for it to be called <laughs> called the double, you know? Um from how, from
1: how Dan's describing this Brizard set, it should not have been called, right? Yeah, no, it even like
2: Meat Shield in the chat was saying that the re- there was no ref refing, uh refing issues. So I don't know who meat shield is on our, on our, uh, in our discord group, but Meat Shield's a great name. Um, <laughs> one thing that like, you know, if we're going to be talking about refing and, and calls that I want to go away, do you remember like a little while ago this, I mean, this happened briefly when I was playing where they changed the net rule and where that you could, a, it was only the top tape that was, that was not allowed to be touched. You could touch the, the bottom, the bottom mesh, no problem. And then if it was only while playing the ball or if the ball was around you. So like if you were a middle blocker and you went up with the middle and the ball went to the outside and you like took the net down like that, like that to me is the worst thing. And I, it, it happened in one of the plays in, in the game, the Lubez-Axa game, where I forget who comes down and he turns and his shoulder brushes the net. The ball's away. Like it's 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 not a dangerous play and they're gonna whistle that down like that's bullshit. Like let the boys play. Let's like let's put the whistles away, down referee, stop trying to make this your show and you know, like let's like let's loosen that up. I'd love to see us go back to that net, that net play where like, hey, yeah, maybe net touching the net a little bit is is all right because it allows for like a little bit more aggression, a little bit more, you know, like it should well, make it that, more
1: exciting. that I disagree with. Uh it, it can't you can't give people more freedom to play more aggressively by, by making the rule more lenient, but you can take away the like turning around and grazing the net with your shoulder play that completely doesn't matter. You can take away the whistleblowing for that. That I agree with, but you can't give give guys more of an advantage because there are less consequences for touching the net in the course of play. That should be the same. And they, they've already changed that rule too too many times over the course of my playing career. Uh, but the the down ref never makes it about himself. He's just enforcing whatever rules he's told to enforce. But at least at just, t- if someone touches the net, he blows the whistle. That's how it works right now.
0: At the very top level, which is I think some of these rule changes should probably like try and reflect the in, to improve the uh, TV product and make the game go faster. Like we've already discussed other rules, ways to reduce the up percentage for men, right? Like why not give the defense, why not give the blocker more of an advantage? Because like we've already tested stuff like. You know, uh, banning back row attacking, banning jump serves. I think this this would be which are both of those things I hate, by the way. But I yeah, think they're the, ridiculous. The, this would be like a better way. You let the block blockers be a bit more aggressive in terms of you know uh, piking and, and being able to seal the net. And I think that would only be better to balance between offense and defense.
1: Well, if you're Wilfredo León, for example, which I mean, all of us can so clearly relate to what his life must be like, uh, and you are athletic enough to. While piking over the net while blocking to kick the bottom tape of the net, and for that to be a violation is ridiculous. That should not be. Uh, was, you should I not posted a point. clip of
0: Plotnitsky doing that the other.
1: Yeah, the other. you should not be penalized for being athletic enough to kick the bottom of the net in your block. <laughs> I agree. With but that. like, I also think that like we need to like realize too
2: is that if as a blocker you're touching the net, you're bringing the net down. So if anything, you're
1: just giving advantage to the other nope, team, right? Nope. That, no, we're not here for that take. You can't. No, you, can't you don't go, like that. You can't go fishing in the net as a blocker.
2: No, and 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 I and I I, I don't I would say I would love to see it go back to just like the top tape. Still have like the same feet rules that you can't can't go to the other side of the net. But like, let's take the mesh out of the play. Let's take in you know, like the the guys who are falling into the net. Like like, let's take that that out of the play. If it's in the top tape, absolutely. If you're invading into the zone, absolutely. You know, foot fault, absolutely. But other than that, let, let's take out let's take out unnecessary whistles.
1: I like where you're coming from there. The, the my devil's advocate argument against that is to to incorporate, like to to take away some of the things that make a net violation a net violation brings subjectivity into the way that it's called. And I, I just praise the game of volleyball for having the least amount of subjective calls that can be made. Uh, if you're if you have to determine whether or not something was a net touch was done while playing the ball versus not, or if it affected the play versus not, or if it was by the ball versus like near the ball versus not, then you're just adding an element of subjectivity that worries me because I I like that about volleyball right now and I don't want to add more subjectivity to it. But the spirit of the argument you're making, I agree with, Uh, take out whistles that shouldn't be whistled. So that brings me to my next thing about officiating I wanted to bring up. So there was a clip the other day that went all over the internet about Mikhail Kubiak in uh, Japan. Good one. And he... This was the stupidest thing. The, by far, the most egregious instance of this call that I have ever seen. And is the perfect one to talk about in the way that it should be officiated. Um, Are you looking forward to pull it up? Do you know what I'm talking um, about? I don't know what you're talking about. So, no. Kubiak... Oh, my God. This is, uh, this is on the FIVB's Instagram. Uh, they... He, he initiated, he did the stupid, like, two-handed swipe thing. He initiated the joust with this oh, tiny wait, little... Oh, I wait, I, yep. I did, you posted it in the chat. Yeah, yeah. So this poor little helpless Japanese blocker, he makes, <laughs> get, gets gets very, like, tentative contact off the blocker's hands, then completely continues to carry the ball well after the blocker has finished touching it and flings it out of bounds with two hands and then celebrates like a loser. Uh, And he, he, my understanding is that he got the point for this. And I know we saw it in slow motion, but oh my God, this was the worst example of this whole call I have ever seen. And this needs to be something that is reviewable and it needs to start being officiated correctly, not based on who initiates the contact in that play, but who actually touched the ball last. Because it's too easy right now for pin hitters to just grab the ball and throw it and as long as they touch the block some at some point, they win the point. That is way too easy. And uh, speaking of lowering the very, very high side-out percentages in the men's game, that is a tool that is unfair offensively, in my opinion. And you need to start being able to officiate that and review it in such a way that the team that touched the ball last loses the point instead of just the blocking team loses it every time. I think that was stupid. Yeah, I,
2: I think that's interesting because... Uh... Last year, when I was doing, I was covering the playoffs. Um, and so Rob, in Canada, we have the CCAA, um, which you could kind of be it's like D3 NAIA type stuff, and then we have U Sports, which is yep. which is D1. Yeah, and I've learned I learned about the divisions recently. I, I've you know, I was doing both matches, and I found that I did like the CCAA, like the, the BC Provincial Championships, and then I was going to UBC games right afterwards and i found that i was enjoying the college games way more the ccaa games way more because they didn't have the as soon as we're in a tough situation we're going to set that tight ball and you guys are just going to go up and you're going to push and tip and you're going to try to push and wipe and there was so many there was i i had i counted it out and there was like almost like double the amount of tips and control shots and stuff like that in the university game than there was in the college game and it's because like the college guys who are like a little bit smaller and maybe not as skilled or just trying to go out there and hit the ball as, as hard as they can. <laughs> and I loved it. And not to mention they're using the molten too instead of the Mikasa. So that makes it makes a big a big difference. But yeah, I like this this notion of like in a lot of people commented it on that that one arm um uh, as a torski dig too because um kind of threw it turns and throws and like I'm kind of with them on that. Like it's it's become a very like one arm like that like, one just,
1: wasn't nearly as bad as the Kubiak play. Yeah, Not even right. close. In slow mo, the, so the sleek of one looks bad. In slow mo, the sleek
2: of one looks bad, but in real time, you see it's fine. Like he just, he just, well, yep. did it fine. But, but to I, me, I like, I've
1: seen the Kubiak one in real time, but just based on how long he was touching the ball in slow mo, it mm-hmm. looked so egregious to me yeah. that it, I, I, I don't know, I, I couldn't get over how bad it looked. And I feel like it, that, that, The way that that's looked at has to be changed, especially when it's coming towards swiping the block. Like, if you're just sending over a second ball. Like, actually, uh, Kovalev, Dan, your guy, did this ridiculous setter dump a couple years ago where he grabbed the ball here and threw it (laughs) downwards over the back of his head. And it was like the only...
0: (laughs) Can you send me that?
1: Yeah, it was sick. But in my opinion, and in Lloyd Ball's opinion, by the way it was illegal because he he, he contacted pulls, pulls in the
0: can, cloud. can i argue the other side of this for the second because i've been, I've I, been agree, I agree with you guys okay so the first thing is you know we were just talking about trying to reduce the amount of, of whistles and, and speed the game up and yet every single challenge call i've seen that tries to figure out who touched it last on on some of these white plays is like glacial it's excruciating because sometimes it, it can be so like z- like one like a hundredth of a second difference and it's the same thing like in basketball i find when like you're or or, or whatever sport you're trying to figure out who touches the ball last when the ball's going out of bounds like but well, you've seen that go for like five minutes and you still have no idea who, who touched the ball so i feel like i almost feel like there still needs to be some way some rule that doesn't rely on, on knowing touch the ball ask and sometimes you don't have the camera angle. And then the other part of it is I I don't know. I think I, I actually really enjoy watching some of the like wipes, tips, jousts, sneaky ways attackers can score. Cause watching as much volleyball as I watch and you guys watch, sometimes it, it does feel a little samey. Like if guys have only two options, they go for hands or they go like around the block cross line, whatever. You know that when you watch like, you know, Three hours, uh, ten hours, fifteen hours of volleyball in a week. They're like, okay, I've seen this exact play all these times. I like when guys you know have a few options in the offensive arsenal. Like, how boring would basketball be if all they could do is layups? That was the only sh- shot they can do. But no, like they have post moves. You can three pointers. You have like uh, mid-range floaters. You have. I-, I like the variety a little bit. I- I- I'm on board do with you- that. They
1: they, they, sh- they I- should have the option. The- the- I'm not saying take the wipe out of the game. I'm just saying that if you're gonna do it, you have to actually like tip it into the block and then you have to you you can't like keep carrying it out of bounds after the blocker is done touching it that that's the egregious like change of direction play that I don't like, but like the the wipe is a smart play if if you don't throw it
2: i'm I'm still in for it. But like when I remember, like this started happening a few years ago, especially with Serbia, with you was Kovačević, where anything off the the net, they'd just be setting him super tight. And he'd go up two hands and and wipe it. Oh, and to sorry. me, like I, I like it. I like it <laughs> being a, a a move to have, but I don't like being it being like a go to thing. You know what I mean? Like I don't like how people like it, it it's too incorporated into the offense.
1: Kovačević should and like, not be able to do it every play, and right now that, he does it on every play and i exactly. hate that and it's just, it just you know for me like that doesn't like that doesn't
2: produce a good product of volleyball where like it's if it's just like little wipes and tips and and stuff like that it doesn't produce a good a good quality a quality of volleyball people want to. this, this see,
1: is a good debate
2: i like this debate you know <laughs> people want to see good swings they want to see big blocks like they want to see the exciting factor right imagine like they want to like, see
0: the finesse they want to see something new as well All right, guys, hope you found that pretty interesting and enjoy the podcast. Tons of very exciting volleyball being played right now in Champions League, CV Cup, Challenge Cup, Italian League playoffs, Polish League playoffs, Russian League playoffs. And then we get, of course, the transfer season, which is going to be very fun to talk about. And then right into the VNL, European Championships, Olympics, all that fun stuff this summer. By the way, if you hadn't seen The VNL bubbles are announced to be played in Italy. It'll be really interesting to see how teams approach it this year, whether they use the VNL as kind of, you know, a training camp for the Olympics, or they hold their training camp kind of separately and send their, you know, U23 team to the VNL. I'm not sure, I actually really have no idea. Might be useful to uh, get a coach's opinion on this to see what their strategy is, and I'm sure it'll be a little different for every team. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed the podcast and have a good week.